Welcome to the iConnect with Baxter Canada podcast. This is where we connect with healthcare providers from various clinical settings to learn more about how they are leading through innovation, protocol development, and integration of evidence to provide excellent clinical care to their patients. Join the conversation with your hosts from Medical Affairs at Baxter Canada. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of iConnect with Baxter Canada podcast. My name is Michelle DeGloria. I am a registered nurse and a medical science liaison supporting the medication delivery team at Baxter Canada, and I will be your host for this episode. As always, our goal is to bring you interesting and relevant topics that influence your day-to-day practice as a clinician. I'm excited to welcome Kelly Gould and Rupi Riot from Baxter Canada's SIVA Drug Preparation Premises in Mississauga, Ontario. Thank you for listening. Thank you for joining us today. I am joined with Kelly Gould and Rupi Riot, and I'm going to turn it over to them and ask them to introduce themselves. Kelly? Thanks, Michelle. So, Michelle, uh, my name is Kelly Gould, as mentioned. Uh, I am the Continuous Improvement Lead at Baxter Pharmacy Services, which is drug preparation premises. Um, I've been with Baxter for just over 10 years right now. Um, prior to that, I actually worked in clinical research. Um, so, for, you know, first in man and some bioequivalents and, and uh, bioavailability studies. Um, so, kind of span the gamut of the pharma industry, I suppose is what you could say, from, from beginning to end. Excellent. And Rupi? Thanks, Michelle. Um, so I'm the um, GMP specialist uh, slash sterile compounding supervisor here at SIVA. Um, and um, I actually started off as a technician and then moved on to a pharmacist role um, and then to a supervisor role. And then finally at the GMP slash sterile compounding supervisor role. So within that, I've become very familiar um, with all of our processes here um, here at SIVA. And um, yeah. So I enjoy this. Excellent. Thank you, Rupi. Sounds like you've um, quite a, had quite an evolution of your uh, roles and experiences at uh, SIVA. So I'm going to begin by asking you, Kelly, about what exactly is a DPP facility and what sure. services are offered? Sure. So uh, a, a DPP or drug preparation premises um, is a facility that does almost exactly what it says on the tin, which is uh, prepares medications. Um, So where a DPP differentiates from a regular pharmacy or hospital pharmacy um, is that the patient relationship does not exist in a DPP. So let me just clarify that. So in a hospital, you are making a medication for patient, you know, Jane Doe, whose MRN number is, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six. Um, in a drug preparation premises, um, the medication is being prepared in, you know, what is uh, ultimately a standard dosage form, um, you know, in a, in a cl- clinically necessary uh, form that does not exist commercially, um, but is not being made for a particular person necessarily. Um, that clinical relationship exists between the hospital and the patient and not between the drug preparation premises and the patient. Okay. And the the types of medications um, are things that are not commercially available. So nothing that is commercially available should be duplicated. And that is because, you know, a GMP licensed product is the gold standard um, and should always be adhered to 
um, when it is available. Um, however, you know, that doesn't necessarily always exist um, for a number of reasons. It could be because the medication is inherently labile um, and would not be stable in a finished dosage form with a DIN on it. Um, or, you know, there are other potential issues, like, for example, um, if a if something that is normally commercially available were to go on a long-term back order, um, a drug preparation premises may, um, for the period of time in which it is not available, duplicate that product. So that's those are the types of things that a drug preparation premises would um, do. So in the event that a commercially available product was available, if you were approached by an organization asking you to duplicate that, under normal, normal circumstances, the answer would be no. The uh, normal circumstances would have to be no. Um, and that is because it is not um, the place of a drug preparation premises or a pharmacy to circumvent the drug approval process. Um, and, you know, companies go through a, a lot of rigor in terms of making sure that they prepare a product um, which is not only stable, um, but um, also is, you know, prepared potentially in a terminally sterilized form, um, which is the gold standard in terms of sterile preparations. And what would your, you know, and I know this is maybe going down a bit of a rabbit hole, but in, in those events where um, organizations have not adopted uh, the use of a commercially available product, and I'm, again, drawing on my own experience as an RN where I am quite confident that there were commercially available products um, that my organization just did not choose to um, provide and had had nurses admixing at the bedside. What would you say to those organizations as far as, you know, if we're thinking about patient safety, if we're thinking about uh, clinician workload and and those types of things? Yeah, so like let's let's take um, patient safety as, as our as our main thrust here. Um, so preparing something at the bedside is uh, you know fraught with the potential for error, um, and that is because you know at at the, at the bedside is not an ideal place for preparation to occur. I'm sure as a nurse you were surrounded by distractions, um, not to mention a non-ideal environment, shall we say, from a microbial point of view. Um, in, in a manufacturing facility or in, in a, at a manufacturing level, um, there's a lot more uh, emphasis on quality assurance, um, which removes a lot of the, let's say, human factors that, um, you know, could potentially lead to issues with anything that's prepared at the, the bedside. Um, or in some cases, even in pharmacies, you know, and that just has to do again with um, the terminal sterilization of, of IV products. So, I mean, as if, if I had any advice to um, a facility, uh, it, it would be just to understand that, you know, what, what could be easier in, or more cost effective at in, in the short term, uh, maybe a, a longer term or bigger issue, you know, in instances where something uh, like an adverse event were to occur. Right, right. Absolutely. And I uh, completely 100% agree with you as far as distractions and to your point, um, surrounded by who knows what in most cases. Um, so that's very interesting to me. And if we go back to the back order, and we know we've seen this more and more in the recent years where there have been back orders of medications, either due to raw material shortages or supply chain issues. Um, Making the move to a, a 
DPP facility for some of those commercially prepared medications would mean that the medication would be prepared um, in a batch format or um, multiple doses provided to an organization and then they are labeled with the drug name, diluent, volume, et cetera? Yes, that would be the situation and and that would be an uh, an acceptable thing to do for the period that the drug is on a manufacturer back order and not really anything beyond. Um, But one of the things that you mentioned um, is that's critical in outsourcing to a DVP, especially in circumstances where it's, uh, you know, covering for a back order is for both organizations to understand what the requirements are of the final product. And that is, you know, something as little as how the drug name appears on the label so that, you know, you reduce the potential for error? How was the concentration expressed? Um, And then, you know, just more kind of facility-wide things, like is there overfill in in the bag that has to be accounted for when uh, it comes to the actual administration and programming pumps? So, uh, you know, even in circumstances where it is only a temporary measure, um, communication back and forth and understanding for both parties in terms of how the drug is supposed to be prepared um, to meet the requirements of of the facility and ultimately the patient is critical. And what are some of the different formats that medication is available from a DPP? So that would have to do largely with um, how stable the drug is and um, where it is compatible. So there are some plastics that are not compatible with some drugs um, and have to be prepared in in different type of uh, final container closures. Um, There has been, you know, instances in the not too recent past where there has been um, absorption by some uh, of the rubberized materials in the plunger of a syringe um, that can reduce the potency of the medication ultimately within the solution. So it really has to do mostly with chemical compatibility at that level. Um, And then, of course, what you're obviously also concerned with is that whatever final container closure you are putting this drug into, that you don't have the potential for, you know, um, water vapor transfer, which would mean that the drug becomes more concentrated within the product. Um, And then also ingress, which means that the potential for organisms to get into um, that um, final product. So you're looking for the integrity of the preparation as a whole. So when we're talking about integrity, that brings me to my next question. And that's really how is quality maintained at a DPP facility? And what are some of the um, standards that are in place to ensure that quality products are being produced and delivered then to organizations who are ultimately taking the responsibility of delivering them on to patients? So, um, you know, that, that brings me back to my, uh, my post-grad um, studies, and that really has to do with the difference between quality assurance and quality control. So, you know, quality control is what we call testing quality into a product. So that's taking, you know, a subset um, of what you're producing and you're testing it and you're maybe testing it for um, sterility, you may be testing it for, you know, chemical content. Um But really, that ultimately only tells you about that unit when we're talking about sterile preparations. Um, So what we like to focus on and what I think is more what the farm industry as a whole likes to focus on is quality assurance. So instead of testing quality into the product, you're building quality into the product. And that is a beginning to end all-encompassing holistic approach. Um, It has to do with everything from the drug realization process. 
um, to the training, to the validation, to the environmental control, to the microbial control, to the training, to, you know, um, you know, the release processes, documentation. Um, there's a lot of different elements that go into quality assurance. Um, and, and that's what you have to kind of say. So how is quality maintained in DPP facility? It's making sure that you have, um, you know, a quality organization that, you know, detects issues, self-corrects them, mm-hmm. uh, sorry, self-detects and corrects those issues and is um, continuously looking to improve that process um, and, you know, and monitor it and make sure that uh, at any one time you can say, yes, we are in a state of control. Excellent. And I like that whole idea of um, it sounds very proactive versus reactive in that everything is being considered upfront and identified early versus, you know, trying to correct something after the issue has happened. Exactly. Because at that point, the product may already be in the field. Right. Um, and, you know, it, it's, it's, an, it's an issue in and of itself trying to have to, to address a field action. But ultimately, that means if it's in the field, then it's at direct patient risk. Right. Excellent. Thank you, Kelly. Um, Rupi, I'm wondering if you can tell me a little bit about what the benefits for organizations would be if they were choosing to utilize the services of a DPP facility. Sure. Um, So considering um, the past two years, the strain that's been on the healthcare system, as well as the um, understaffing in, in all of the hospitals, there's many advantages for institutions to um, uh, leverage a DPP. Um, so one, DPPs typically uh, are a state-of-the-art facility. You have all of the primary engineering controls in place. Um, and then you have um, you have a, a robust environment, environmental monitoring system and program in place um, to ensure uh, that all of our the operators and the product that's being compounded and the environment that it's being compounded in uh, is under a state of control. Uh, you get the um, advantage of, um, and for example, in our case, we do have extended drug stability information um, because we have sister sites that we can leverage. Um, and so uh, under the NAPRA guidelines, um, the beyond use date um, for products tends to be much shorter than what DPPs may be able to offer. Mm. Um, as well as what uh, Kelly had alluded to, there's all those distractions in the uh, hospital environment. So uh, DPPs focus strictly on compounding. Um, and so um, that also is an advantage. Um, and then we can compound products that are not commercially available. Um, and sometimes the cost to bring in some of those products for uh, organizations to do that in-house, uh, it's almost uh, more beneficial to um, have some uh, DPP facility look after that. Um, also, the infrastructural cost. Um, if if you are a hospital that is compounding or other type of institution that's compounding sterile products, there are NAPRA requirements that need to be met. And in those situations, it might require you to uh, have to build an entirely new um, clean room suite or make other infrastructural changes. And the cost um, that would uh, the organization would incur, uh, it's far more advantageous to um have that um, an organization reached out to a DPP and have that um, work completed there. 
Um, also, in circumstances where um, we have uh, back orders from a lot of manufacturers, DPPs may have the stock and may be able to support the hospital's needs. Oh, so that would be another reason um, where we can fulfill patient needs and customer needs. Now, the one thing I'm curious about is, does a DPP offer individualized medications at all, or is it all uh, mostly um like a, a, a standard dose uh, provided to an organization, or is there the opportunity for individualized dosing? Um, there are opportunities for in individualized dosing. It would all depend on the DPP that you um, are reaching out to. Um, but there are, uh, for example, uh, with us, we do have uh, chemo uh, that is uh, what we refer to as patient-specific, as well as batch. Um, that would be um, a larger single-dose uh, product that we provide to our customers. And what about uh, total parental nutrition? Is that another service that would be offered from a DPP? Yes. Um, sorry, I missed that one. Yes, uh, we do uh, also offer uh, TPN, total parental nutrition. Those are also um, patient-specific orders. Okay, excellent. Thank you. I'm also wondering... And I, I think we've probably touched on this a little bit, but I always think it's uh, worthwhile to sort of reiterate anytime we're talking about patient safety and considerations. I'm wondering what the benefits are for patients, clinicians, and organizations. Um, so, I mean, I already alluded to the infrastructure piece. Um, there's a lot of cost savings on that end. Um, but I would say primarily it's the fact that uh, DPPs have um, an established quality system uh, that ensures that the process from beginning to end meets all quality standards um, and that all personnel are trained and routinely monitored. The environment that, uh, in which uh, all of our products are compounded in is also monitored. Um, and then all of that gives a reassurance to our customers and uh, organizations and clinicians that product for patients is being made in a standardized uh, approach and all DPPs are doing the same thing. So when they are administering, um, they're administering a safe quality product. I do know that um, pre-COVID, um, we certainly welcomed customers and clinicians into our um, DPP facility to have a tour and to, to better understand processes and how um, medications are prepared. I'm just curious if that is something that will resume again or if there is an option for uh, interested clinicians to reach out and request maybe an on-site tour. Yeah. Hi, Michelle. I think that um, that is definitely something that, you know, we can we can do and we want to do because we want that transparency. Um, so we want, um, you know, anybody considering using the organization um, as a DPP for product preparation to understand, you know, how their product is made and give them that level of assurance. Um, sometimes that's not always possible, even, you know, in the post-COVID world, because obviously we are located in Ontario and we, right. um, we do provide services across Canada. Um, so we do have an iConnect tour, um, you know, which I think you'll be able to provide the link to, um, yes, definitely. you know, for, for organizations that, you know, um, would like to just get some idea of, you know, um, what the facility is like and how the, the, the product is made in, in that facility. Um, but I definitely 
um, advocate for transparency and for auditing. So, um, you know, understanding master formulations, understanding what training requirements are exist, understanding the environmental monitoring uh, program that's in place. I think that's all critical for the hospitals that are considering DPP organizations to know and understand um, just because ultimately that patient relationship exists between the hospital um, and that patient um, and outsourcing to a DPP, you know, that does not completely um, absolve the hospital of of responsibility. Um, And that's just the way the regulation is. Um, So, you know, we always aim to be fully transparent and frequently have hosted tours. I've hosted, I can't say, I'll say dozens and dozens of tours. Um, you know, and it's also a great understanding um, for me to, um, to get an idea of what are the hospital's needs and what are the pain points for them. And, uh, you know, it, it's a little bit self-serving, but that ultimately kind of dictates our pipeline. Right. And I would think, to your point, that helps uh, build potential additional capacity into our DPP facility and maybe increase the, the offerings to customers to meet uh, their needs. Yeah. And, and what I like to say to them, and I'm, this is a podcast, so this won't work very well, but I normally say, this is what we do. And I hold my fingers about two inches apart from each other. And I say, and we focus on, you know, product preparation, um, which gives you the opportunity to focus on this. And then I'll hold my arms, my arms really far open wide and say, that's really the clinical um, aspect right. of pharmacy. Um, because for the more routine things, for the batch type things, for the things that are high risk, high alert, uh, you know, this is where DBPs can can shine and provide the most, um, you know, value to your organization to allow you to focus on, you know, maybe the more complicated things, you know, um, the more uh, critical clinical aspects of, you know, understanding medication history, you know, doing, a, doing meds checks and all those types of things um, and kind of outsourcing that more routine or um, complicated preparation work, you know, to a DBP. That makes sense. Um, Kelly, you mentioned that our facility is in Ontario. Does that exclude other provinces from leveraging the services of a DPP? Uh, To my understanding, there are are no requirements right now from provincial authorities that indicate they cannot. for controlled substances, um, the we are overseen by the Office of Controlled Substances, which is a, a national um, organization. Um, so we have particular requirements in terms of satisfying the, those federal requirements uh, for the preparation, the ordering, and uh, the distribution of controlled substances. Um, but no, uh, we do have validated methods of uh, transporting our products, um, you know, within between 48 hours or, or more, we would have to use different providers in order to um, uh, outsource to areas that are a little more uh, remote. Um, but, uh, you know, we do have validated methods to ship anywhere, you know, very easily within 40 hours. Excellent. That's great to know. And I think um, beneficial for our listeners as well to know that um, your geographical location may not uh, preclude you from uh, participating in this type of outsourcing. I'm wondering if we can end with the top three things organizations should consider when utilizing a DPP and what um, you would want organizations to know about your DPP. 
Sure. Um, so we've touched on one already, and that is the ability to audit and transparency. So, um, you know, making sure that all their quality requirements that are in place to order in order to meet your provinces and your hospitals um, standards. Um, the understanding of the product. So how is the product prepared? What is the formulation? What does that mean in terms of programming pumps, um, you know, labeling, things like that? So that would be the second thing is understanding that the product that you're looking to outsource um, is, in fact, you know, something that you can use in a, in a clinical capacity and reduces um, the risk of medication errors. Um, and then I guess the third thing is understanding that, um, you know, the end-to-end -end requirements are met at the DPP facility um, that you are looking to, uh, to outsource to. And that could be, you know, things like order and delivery um, understanding so that, you know, you're not in a place where you're reliant on, or on a service that, that cannot provide, um, that there are robust quality measures in, in, in place. So more that just kind of end-to-end, day-to-day um, understanding between the hospital and the DPP that um, make sure that there's a, a steady supply and um, obviously a, a high quality product that gets to, you know, the door of the pharmacy at the hospital. Excellent. And I thought of one more question that I think is important. Um, as a bilingual country, are services offered in French? Uh, yes, so we do have a dedicated uh, bilingual customer service um, at the site, which is separate from our um, customer service at, at Baxter Corporate. Um, we also have a number of uh, bilingual sales representatives, and uh, you know, I, I could dig out my high school French if I really wanted to, but it would it really just consists of conjugating a lot of verbs, and I don't think that would help anybody. Uh, but we do have the expertise on site, yes. Okay, fantastic. Um, Rupi, did you have anything that you wanted to? Tag on to that. I can't speak French either. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I, I think um, Kelly did a really great job in describing the benefits uh, for organizations to reach out to DPPs. Um, I don't think anyone could have said it any better. So, um, yeah, there's there's great benefit in utilizing our services, um, and we always put patient safety first. Excellent. So, Thank you so much um, to both of you for joining me today. This has been very enlightening for me, and I'm sure our listeners will find beneficial content that they're able to take away as well. Thank you so much. No problem. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's episode. To listen to more episodes like this, be sure to subscribe to ensure you always receive notification. Please reach out to us by email if you have any questions, comments, or feedback. We look forward to having you back with us next time. Thank you for joining us for the episode of I Connect with Baxter. All of the opinions and experiences expressed in this episode are those of the guest speaker and do not necessarily reflect those of Baxter Canada. If there are other areas of interest you would like to see included on future podcasts, please email those to iconnect.baxter.com.